Welcome to ServiceNow Tech Bytes, bringing you an inside look at our products. I'm your host, Steve Miller. Today, Darius Kumari is chatting with Jason Occhialini about change management. They'll talk about the value of change to an organization, managing the risks of changes, the change advisory board, and lots of other stuff. Stay tuned. Today, we've got something a little different for you. Not long ago, product manager Darius Kumari sat down with product owner Jason Occhialini to talk about ServiceNow change management application. We're going to share their conversation with you here. Take it away, Darius and Jason. Today, we're talking about a really important topic of change management. And who better to explain it to us than one of the greatest minds of change management here at ServiceNow, product manager Jason Occhialini. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Darius. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start at a high level. Just tell me if I'm new to this whole world of ITIL, this whole world of IT service management, what is change management and why is it important to an organization? Great question. Well, the purpose of change management is the introduction of beneficial change with a minimum disruption to the services that you offer. So in simple terms, uh, organizations are constantly being driven to implement new functionality or capabilities to the services that they offer, and change management is the process that ensures that we do that in an efficient and least disruptive manner. Awesome. And not to be a naysayer, but there's going to be all those organizations that say change management adds all this process, maybe we even need specialized headcount or personnel that they're just change managers or doing change management. So tell me, especially from a value perspective, where does that value come into play for an organization where it actually is in their uh, interest, right? There's the ROI there to make those investments in a change management process. Well, there's few service management processes which deliver more value to an organization. First and foremost, we ensure that we're providing a minimum disruption to the services that we're offering and that ensures that those services are available for users and that users are happy uh, because those services are available. Change management certainly uh, is a cost-saving process in the sense that it ensures that we do those uh, changes once and do them correctly once and minimize disruption and rework for having to re-implement changes. Awesome. So I think one of the key value points I'm hearing is this reduction of outages or the reduction of unplanned events occurring that is going to take one of your important business services, maybe it's email, Maybe it's an application that you're making available to your own internal business users. A revenue-generating service that you expose to external users. So change really helps us reduce that by reducing the risk, I'm assuming, involved by adding that standard governance layer of process. Yeah, change is in many senses a risk mitigation process and a process which optimizes risk. And... Uh, change people would say that that optimization of risk implies that at times uh, you may accept some risk because the potential benefit of that activity outweighs any risk that's uh, been identified. So I get it at a high level. It sounds important. But I know especially in the ITIL world and amongst many change practitioners, we generally see ourselves falling into three categories of changes. Is that correct? 
Uh, three types of change. Three yeah, types, absolutely. Yes. So what are those three types and what's the distinctions between the three? So there are three types of change. Uh, the first type is a standard change and a standard change by definition is a pre-authorized or pre-approved change that is low risk and generally follows some form of specific work instruction. As a result of that definition, those are the sort of changes which often can be automated uh, and deployed programmatically. So it's, uh, I would argue, the greatest opportunity for uh, organizations and change teams in general is you're able to offload low-risk work to this standard change type that's pre-approved, which enables you to focus on those changes which provide uh, greater risk and greater impact to the services you offer. There's then the emergency change type, which is a change which needs to be implemented as quickly as possible, oftentimes in response to a critical incident or a critical security incident. And then there is a type of change called normal change change, which has one of my favorite definitions in the entire ITIL framework, a normal change is any change that's not a standard or emergency <laughs> change. Awesome. So I know in the ServiceNow platform, one of those caters itself to catalog items or what we call, I think it's standard change items maybe in the service catalog better than the other two. And my understanding is it's that standard changes are in the catalog while normal and emergency kind of get put through as regular forms and records, is that correct? Uh, that is generally the case. We have a entire uh, sub-process within ServiceNow's change management application called the Standard Change Catalog. And mm -hmm. standard changes go through a proposal and approval process. And once those standard changes are approved, we automatically publish a approved template to the, stand, uh, the service catalog. Mm -hmm as a template within the catalog. They are subject to security controls within the catalog, specifically user criteria. So you have the ability to segment off standard changes by user, group, role, location. But it's actually a, uh, a pretty powerful process. And like I said earlier, what I think is one of the great opportunities for change management teams. That's great. And I know I previously discussed user criteria with Bharat actually in the service catalog context. And it's really about limiting who can access that input data, in this case, these standard change items. So tell me, who is it that's usually putting changes into a system? How do they get created? Is it anyone in the business opening up change, just IT? Maybe it's even automated. Tell me what's going on. Well, the input to change management can come from a number of sources. It is often coming from IT and the users who will be fulfilling changes. Standard changes are almost exclusively proposed by the team that fulfills that change. They are aware that this is a change that they do on a regular basis, that it's low risk, that it's always approved, that it follows a specific instruction. So the initiator of of standard changes are almost exclusively the team that implements them and they're also the team that almost always is the one who is proposing that particular activity as a standard change. The final thing I want to understand just from my own comprehension is what are those personas that you see in an organization whether it's the business titles or just the different hats people wear 
to make sure there's an effective change management process in play at an organization? Uh, well, there are a number of personas involved. Uh, the, the primary one internally we would refer to as a fulfiller, but oftentimes that's a system administrator, a database administrator, a network administrator, uh, the administrator of an application. These are the people that are actually going to implement the change once it's been uh, authorized for uh, deployment. Uh, many organizations, larger organizations that have specialization in roles will have a role called a change manager or a change coordinator, or in some cases, um, both roles. And those roles are really uh, focused on the overarching governance of uh, all change activity and oftentimes uh, uh, held accountable for the success of change activity that they uh, authorize and approve. Um, there'll be cab managers. Uh, the change advisory board is a sub-process of the change management process that's focused on the highest risk change activity and, and uh, the cab manager and the cab board will oversee uh, ceremonies in which change activity is reviewed before uh, authorization. Uh, and then you do have change requesters that fall outside each of those roles. Maybe it's a service owner who has a new bit of capability that is ready for deployment and approval or a product owner uh, that's requesting change activity but, but won't be involved in the fulfillment of it. So when you have such an important principle to business continuity, to cost, to outage reduction, to reducing unplanned changes and the negative impact of those unplanned changes, all in an effort to reduce your risk. Tell me, what are the tools that we offer in ServiceNow to a customer that they can start implementing and getting their risk management in place and reducing ultimately risk through change management? Absolutely. We have a suite of tools that are all focused on uh, mitigating risk of change activity. Uh, the first I'd cite is just a seamless integration with the CMDB, which contains a rich source of data about the configuration items and services that are in scope for change. Then we've got what I call a trio of features that help inform users of the potential risk of a change. The first is called conflict detection, the second is called risk calculation, and the final one is called risk assessment. Let's dive into conflict detection. Where does it surface itself? How do I know there's a conflict and what types of conflicts could I run into? So uh, before I go there, I'm going to describe the purpose of it. And mm -hmm. the purpose of conflict detection is to identify potential scheduling conflicts for a change. Change management uses three pieces of information within the change request record. Uh, those three pieces of information are the configuration items that are in scope for the change uh, and the plan start and the planned end date for that change activity. And the plan start date and the planned end date prior to approval is what we refer to as the requested change window. Once a change has been approved, it is considered the authorized change okay. window. Uh, but using those three pieces of information, we can look at things like blackout schedules and maintenance schedules and other scheduled change requests to determine is there a conflict for that 
activity. And those conflicts can come in a number of different forms. That change is currently being requested or planned outside the confines of a maintenance window. Uh, it's currently being scheduled or planned within the confines of a blackout window. There's another change request against the same CIs or service that are in scope for that change at that date and time or there are the assignee or the assignment group for that change is already scheduled to perform other change activity at that date and time. Now there's one piece I didn't quite hear from your answer though, and that was in terms of how it surfaces itself. So there's all these input mechanisms you just mentioned where, hey, this will tell you there's a conflict. So where will it tell me I have a conflict, right? Is there a field I look at? Is there a related list? What are we talking? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, first and foremost, when those three pieces of information that I cited are provided in the record is saved, conflict detection will run automatically for you. And when a conflict is detected, we surface that right on the form in the form of an alert. Uh, details relative to that conflict are then available within a form section that's called conflicts, which will list out one or more conflicts that were identified. And uh, as of the Kingston release, we integrated the change conflict calendar into the change request form. So you can then uh, click an action within the change request form that takes you to that conflict calendar and it gives you a visual representation of the conflicts that have been identified. And then allows you to just uh, simply reschedule right from that view, either by clicking the existing change request or dragging it into an available maintenance window. So the next area of those three topics that you mentioned was risk calculations. And I know risk to every organization is going to have a different context. It's going to have a different requirement, a different SLAs may be at place and other internal objectives. So tell me, how can an organization define their own risk calculations and how does that look like in the ServiceNow platform? So risk calculation is a feature that's based on a record type called risk condition. And risk conditions enable you to look at objective data that exists right within your ServiceNow instance to identify potential risk factors. Perhaps it's the criticality of the business service that is in scope for the change. Perhaps it is the criticality of the CI role in supporting that service. Perhaps it's the number of different teams that are in involved in the implementation of that change. But risk calculation enables you to basically focus on data that exists within your instance and then drive risk and impact values within the change request record based on the evaluation of all those different factors you define. Now, I think there's something more subjective, though, available in terms of risk assessments. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Risk assessment enables you to define questionnaires using our risk and assessment engine that users respond to and based on their responses and weightings that you've provided to specific questions will set the risk value of a change request accordingly. Risk assessment and risk calculation can be used together. They work seamlessly together and ultimately if you are using both of those tools we will default the risk value to the highest risk value that was identified whether that comes from the assessment itself or the execution of risk calculation and data that exists within So now instance. I know about how we can reduce risk using conflict detection. We can identify and understand risk using risk calculations. And I think that third piece that you were just telling me about was risk assessments. Yep. And I think the key piece there is that it's not kind of historical, it's not uh, objective in the sense that it's simple data-driven rules. It's more of we're using subject matter experts, the fulfillers who are actually implementing these changes 
going out, giving them an assessment based on their experience. They fill it out, and that's actually going to impact and calculate in with the existing risk calculations. Is that right? That's exactly the case. You can define a, a series of different risk assessments based on any factor that's defined within the change request itself. And then ultimately, the people that are responding to those assessments are almost exclusively the ones that will be implementing them that are most intimately uh, knowledgeable about the potential risk of that change activity. So some of the posts I've been reading on the community in the ITSM change management space is specifically a lot of times there's discussion around the CMDB and how critical it is to have an up-to-date and rich with information CMDB to having an efficient and healthy change management process. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. First and foremost, the CMDB is where we are referencing those CIs that are in scope for the change. But then it also enables us to identify the other CIs and services that will be impacted by the CI that is in scope for that change. It also enables us to look at dependency maps and visually see how this CI supports a particular service and what other CIs or what other services may be impacted by the change that we're providing. So the CMDB plays a critical role in the assessment of risk and impact in general, uh, but it's also a tool that we use uh, with a utility within change management called Refresh Impacted Services, which enables us to automatically uh, identify and populate services that will be impacted by that change. give me just a high-level introduction. I know I actually talked about this in a previous DeskSide chat with Greg when we were talking about ITSM governance, so it's coming up again, but what is this CAB? The CAB stands for Change Advisory Board, and a Change Advisory Board is primarily uh, a, a governance entity that is focused on the highest risk and highest impact change activity uh, for an organization. And it's comprised of a role called a CAB manager who is the individual who will generally lead uh, that, that ceremony or meeting or series of meetings. Uh, there is an entity called the CAB board, which are attendees which uh, attend every uh, session or meeting of the CAB. And then there are CAB attendees, which are generally uh, people there that are uh, there to speak to or represent a specific change request uh, that the CAB is reviewing. Excellent. So I heard this word CAB, CAB, CAB a lot. I know we're using it as change advisory board, but I hear also the term like a CAB meeting thrown around a lot. So do you mind telling me what usually happens in a CAB meeting? And do we actually have anything in product to make the life of people doing these CAB meetings easier? We do. We do. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, CAB meeting is uh, generally a session where a group comes together, reviews a series of change requests that have been identified as high impact or high risk, and reviews those on a case-by-case -case basis to determine whether or not they want to approve or authorize that change activity for deployment. Excellent. So now I get what a CAD meeting is, but to hit the second part of my question, do we have anything in product to help the people doing these CAB meetings? We do. We have a feature uh, specific to empower these ceremonies and the uh, people involved in them called the CAB Workbench. And the CAB Workbench is a feature which enables the scheduling, planning, and execution of CAB meetings all on the NOW platform. This new CAB interface, I do believe I heard it was optimized in that with these traditional CAB meetings, you may be sitting on an hour-long call and you've got this one change 
midway, maybe towards the end of the agenda, and now you got to sit through it because you don't know exactly at what point you're going to come up to give your input and talk about your change as part of this cap. So I think we did a little something to help that out, right? Yeah, we did. We did. So we've got a number of features within Cab Workbench that uh, bring efficiencies to virtually every persona that attends them. The one that you're referring to is a feature called Notify Me, which enables an attendee of the cab meeting to connect to uh, the meeting portal and set a notification for themselves that the platform will generate a notification a certain number of agenda items prior to their item coming up for discussion. So in extreme cases, we have customers that have cabs that are hours long. They may cover a hundred or more uh, change requests within the confines of those meetings. And if you are the guy who's there, who's only there to discuss a single change request, and that's the 98th item on yep. the agenda, you can now set a notification for yourself and the platform will notify you. Uh, a few agenda items prior uh, to yours coming up for discussion that your item is about to come up for discussion. We also have some efficiencies for the cab manager itself. Uh, cab workbench is comprised of a couple of key record structures. The first is one that's referred to as a cab definition. And the cab definition I've described as being very analogous to a recurring meeting invite in Outlook. It contains all of the specific attributes associated with a cab meeting series. Uh, and from that cab definition, we generate another record type called a cab meeting record. And a cab meeting record is very much like an individual occurrence of that recurring meeting series. And it inherits all of those various attributes that were defined within the cab definition record, like the criteria which determines what change requests will be comprised as part of that agenda. And then we ultimately have a a meeting interface that is defined within ServiceNow service portal uh, technology that when it's time for the meeting, everyone can connect to to follow along with the meeting agenda that's being led by that cab manager. That's great, Jason. And I think uh, there might be some questions around the cab from an administrative side. What can you configure? What is there to edit? Is it easy to stand up this new cab application that we have in our product? I know there's some questions on the community around that that you've answered. Uh, do you care to just re-paraphrase those answers? Tell us a little about what you commonly see as maybe questions or areas of you can or can't configure? I think the cab workbench is pretty easy to get stood up. The primary piece of it is that cab definition record and the key part is the actual filter criteria that dictates what change requests should be included in any particular cab meeting. And that's something that any customer that's currently doing cabs really needs to reinvent the wheel on. We talked to a lot of customers and customers were almost exclusively using one of two things to drive the agendas for their cab meetings. And that was a filtered list or a report of type list. And either of those two things already contains that criteria which dictates these are the change requests that are going to be discussed in any particular meeting. So that's one of the more complicated pieces of setup is defining that filter criteria using a condition builder. And for anyone who's already running cab meetings, and that's the majority of our change management customers, they already have that information available to them. Got it. And are these cabs, they always occur at the same time. So if you did a filter for, you know, in the next two weeks, maybe you run it every two weeks or every one week and your filters change is happening in the next one week. Can you also do ad hoc cabs? 
Absolutely. So at most organizations, these CAB meetings are set up on a scheduled and recurring basis. And that CAB definition record enables you to associate a schedule with that CAB definition and will automatically generate meeting occurrences on your behalf. You can also go straight to the CAB meeting table itself and create a new CAB meeting record directly from that to conduct a meeting. You can use an existing CAB meeting record and use standard platform controls like insert and stay to automatically populate it with information that's already been defined. But a CAB meeting does not need to be tied to a CAB definition to be defined and ultimately executed. Today we're talking about what's new in change management with Madrid release. So tell me what's good. We've got some great stuff coming in the Madrid release. Uh, first and foremost, we've got a couple of new features that are really aimed towards that DevOps community. We've got a entire suite of change management specific APIs that really make it easy for DevOps teams to integrate from their CI CD pipeline straight into change management, enabling them to create new change requests, update new change requests, approve those change requests, uh, and work them from creation to closure all programmatically. We then have a feature that I'm calling change approval policies that enables uh, policies to be defined in declarative records that dictate how approvals are handled and generated. Historically, those approvals have been generated using workflow and group approval activities. We now have this capability that enables approval configuration to occur in simple declarative records and approval outcomes to occur anything from automated approval and rejection for normal and emergency change types to the generation of approvals to single groups or users involved in change governance activity or easily bring in multiple stakeholders to a change approval and authorization conversation. We then have another feature that is called change conflict scheduling, which is a, another enhancement to our conflict detection uh, capability. Conflict detection, as we've previously discussed, enables potential scheduling conflicts to be identified. And what change conflict scheduling does is now automatically identify periods of time where no current scheduling conflict exists, and it enables you to easily select a point in time, and we will automatically populate your plan start and planned end date accordingly. And then finally, we've enhanced the refresh impacted services feature within change management. Historically, this has only worked against the primary CI that was referenced on the form. In the Madrid release, we've expanded that to include any CI that is defined within the affected CI's related list. So pretty powerful uh, group of features and another heavy investment from ServiceNow into change management, not just for change management teams in general, uh, but organizations that are working in a more highly agile way or have teams that are operating in a DevOps fashion. Yeah, and I'm going to raise you another buzzword, if we will. We heard DevOps. I'm going to hit you with ChatOps. So I know I work a lot with the virtual agent product line. We'll be able to, using chat as well, go ahead and open up change requests, update change requests, search for a change availability, and that's all through chat through the virtual agent, which we know can be used not only in ServiceNow, but the neat thing is it can be used in a third-party tool like in Madrid, Slack, maybe it's Facebook Workplace, maybe it's Microsoft Teams. So your technicians doing these changes, they can just jump right in, 
create a change or even just search quickly, hey, is it safe to work on something right from a chat client that they're familiar with? I'm glad you brought that up because I believe we have an out-of-the-box conversation that enables change conflict scheduling API to be queried uh, to determine when the next available change window is for a particular CI. Awesome. And I think then that answers the most asked questions that I've seen around either the community or just in my customer calls in general around really what is change management, what's the value it provides, and what are the common and core ideas behind change management. So thank you so much. Well, many thanks to Darius and Jason for sharing their insights on change management. We hope you'll tell us what you think of it. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more information on any ServiceNow topic, take a look at our product documentation, knowledge base, or ServiceNow support YouTube channel. Thanks for listening.